This series of Rain is celebrating one of my obsessions, women's sport. The series is empowered by Nike, whose ambition, just like Rain, is to be the biggest champion for women and girls and ensure they feel seen and included. And that means all women. Nike celebrates all bodies, all journeys, and all forms of movement, and we love to see it. Nike is totally committed to that investment, supporting her journey, taking action to make meaningful change and coming through with innovative style-led products. I'm sure you've already seen the game-changing new England's women's football kit, which includes the new leak protection technology embedded in the lining of the Nike Pro short for athletes. Nike leak protection period is available as a separate product for everyone, and the ultra-thin absorbent liner is designed to give people who menstruate an added layer of confidence through movement, whether that's football, athletics, dance, weightlifting, yoga, or even a quick dash to the shop, babes. That's not all. Nike have launched the Phantom Luna, a women-led football boot, backed by Nike's most meaningful investment in women yet. That they've taken more than two years of research, trialing, designing, and styling to develop. And we haven't even gone on to the bras, leggings, pro hijabs, and their maternity and plus size ranges. So make sure you check out the latest innovation for her product at Nike.com. Hey, I'm Josh Smith, and welcome to Rain. This podcast is all about empowerment and open conversations with incredible guests. So let's get straight into it. Today, we're joined by a lioness legend who helped to bring football home and change the face of women's sport. It's Jill Scott. Jill's 18-year playing career took her from an unpaid footballer in Sunderland to a European champion at Wembley. So, if there's anyone who knows just how much women's sport has changed in the UK, it's Jill, and she tells me all about that in this episode. We also chat about dealing with change after retiring from football last year, after 161 England appearances, making her England's second most capped footballer three FA Cup titles under her belt, and being named FA International Player of the Year. And since hanging up her boots, she's solidified her legend status by becoming the queen of the jungle in I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Jill is a true role model for being yourself and embracing the challenges life throws at you. So I hope you love this episode as much as I do. It's really rare that we're actually joined by actual royalty on the show, but it's not only hello to the Queen of the Pitch, it's hello to Queen of the Jungle. Jill, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Very good. Currently in Australia, but yeah, I'm doing very well. And thank you for having me on the podcast. Oh my God, I'm so excited to have you. And I mean, it must be so weird for you right now to have actually taken a step back from football and having to sit there and watch the World Cup and not be playing. Is it more stressful to watch it and not be able to do anything? Or is it better to be in the pressure cooker of the team? Oh, it's definitely more stressful watching from the side. Um, Yeah, I think, obviously, when I used to play, I think for the girls that actually take to the pitch, even though they're going to be high-pressure moments, it's what you've done all your life. So you just go out there, you're playing footy with your mates, and you just enjoy the occasion. But being in the stands with the families, the friends, the fans, like you're kicking every single ball with them. So yeah, 
it's definitely more stressful being on the other side. <laughs> has your heart been going at like 600 miles an hour? <laughs> yeah, it actually has, to be honest. It has, I think. Uh, definitely the last game just kicking every single ball with them and yeah the next day I felt like I'd actually played a game of football so yeah but it's just because you care isn't it it's like it's your teammates it's your family um, and you just care about them so much yeah at least then you don't have to do a cardio workout at the end of the day just watching football's doing it for you now (laughs) yeah I'm using that excuse as well I was meant to go for a run the day after and I ended up falling asleep for an hour I was like this is embarrassing but I don't have to do that anymore now. I, I, I try to, but I don't have to. Well, you deserve to put your feet up because you were watching the Lionesses as the player with the most World Cup appearances ever for a female player and England's second most capped international footballer out of men and women with 161 appearances and you've scored a casual 27 goals in the process. What did it mean to you to play for your country? Oh, it meant everything it actually did. Whenever I look back on my life, then moments when I pulled the shirt on, I know that it meant so much to me because I can't remember anything about life in general. But if you ask me about a World Cup, a game, I can tell you the score. I can tell you everything. I was obsessed by football. Football was my life. Um, it was my purpose. And yeah, whenever I look back, I'd, I just have a big smile on my face because I feel so lucky and, and so honoured that I got to wear that shirt. 161 times. I know. And you must remember pretty much every single one of those. But one of the most iconic moments of your career is, of course, the Euros. I mean, what a time to be alive that was. England won in front of a 90,000 strong crowd at Wembley Stadium, record audiences watching women's football. And it was such a huge moment for women's sport, full stop. I was there, I literally lost my mind watching it. Were there points in your career where you felt like that was completely impossible? Oh yeah, completely. I remember 2009 playing in the Euros final against Germany and we actually got beat 6-2. We were nowhere near the level of Germany. We weren't playing full-time football back in England. So I think if I look at that moment, I thought, when will the time ever come that we'll defeat these kind of teams? And Yeah, doing it at Wembley, 90,000 people. There was just so many kind of ticks that day, like just so many girls and boys watching the Lionesses Mm. and the crowd actually finally getting that gold medal. But it's kind of, it's so hard to put into words because it literally was the best day of any of our lives. Hopefully the girls can go and win the World Cup. But yeah, it was just the best day of my life and one that I'll treasure forever. What do you think that win really symbolises and really stands for? I think it probably stands for just anybody in any job, any young person, any person that's doing anything. Just don't give up on that dream. Like you have to trust the process. And sometimes there's days where you just want to throw the towel in. There's so many more losses than wins. And even in work in general, when you, you're going for this goal and you just think, are we ever going to get there? Are you trying to hit this target? You put everything into it. You sacrifice time with your family, time with your friends, because it just means so much to you. But I hope that that day can just represent don't give up on your dreams, because I always say when everything's trying to pull you back, it's a bit like a bow and arrow and you feel like you want to give up. I feel like that's when that pressure's going to take you to the next level. So I hope it can stand for that. I, I really do. It definitely stands for that. And you had so much fun in the process of getting that European Championships. 
what was kind of like the behind the scenes moment that you will never forget from the Euros? I don't know if there's many I can share on a podcast, but um, <laughs> in tournaments, people only see you for the six games, the seven games, 90 minutes, but you're away with uh, this squad for like six weeks. So you have to find kind of a lot of time to um, like spend your time, like create memories, create moments and kind of create that team togetherness. But I don't think pictures ever got out actually, but there was one night when I remember we were going to dinner and I said, um, in a couple of days' time, let's draw a name out of the hat and you have to dress your teammate for dinner. And, oh, my God, there was some outfits. Like, we put a bit of a budget on it. So I was dressed as, like, an old woman, obviously being the grandma of the team. I think Tooney was dressed as this big red lobster just walking to dinner and, like... But it just showed, like, we wanted to have fun. We were having fun anyway, but, yeah, just creating their memories off the pitch or... I did joke on Instagram that I might share some of my camera roll from that tournament at some point. So, yeah, maybe if work dries up, I'll have to share some photos. (laughs) I love it. I mean, we need to see that photo album. Yeah, I know. Everybody keeps saying that, but yeah, I'll wait till the girls have stopped playing, maybe. Before you completely (laughs) embarrass them. And I think it must have been such a strange experience for you to be on that absolute high at like the peak of your career and then shortly afterwards you made the decision that you were going to retire from football after we won the Euros. How difficult was it to make that decision for you? You know what it probably wasn't that difficult because I kind of I was really struggling with a knee injury going into the tournament and there was a lot of uh, touch and go whether I would even make the tournament so I was just very very grateful that to the physios and the staff that they did everything that they could to make sure that I would make that squad. So because of the effort that took, and then when I was in the tournament, it was it was taking a lot of work. And you've got to remember, I wasn't even really playing. So I feel like I didn't really make that decision. I felt like the decision was kind of made on behalf of my body, really. But you know what? Mm. I look back and I'm just so grateful. Like I didn't really have an injury throughout my career. I played 16 years for England. I think I missed one. Uh, camp in that time and obviously you see some of the injuries that the girls go through now I'm just honestly I'm I'm so grateful I never wish I had that next fight I never wish that I had that next game because I feel like I literally squeezed all the orange juice out of that orange and my my time had come really and now I'm just the biggest lioness fan I really am. Was it kind of like a grieving process in a way to go through such a huge change. I've kind of, you know what, I've I've felt okay. I have surprised myself. I have felt okay. But then I think at the same time, I have been very, very busy since retirement. So I do, um, I do speak to someone just about um, kind of that change really, because even though you feel okay, I think sometimes we'll wait until things hit us to then try and fix it. And I do know that my life's gone through this massive change. And I do worry that maybe it'll hit us a little bit further down the line when I'm not as busy. So I do try and say to people, if you can, if you've got access to it, speak to people when things are good as well, because your mental health is so important. But yeah, I I do feel good at the minute. Um, And as I say, maybe because I just feel so grateful for the opportunities that I've had throughout my career. Yeah. And you had such an amazing career. Like, what do you think was the real secret to your consistency and your longevity? I think um, because I go around and I do a few talks and stuff now, especially to younger people, and I always speak about finding your own routine. So 
don't look at teammates, workmates and look at what they're doing. You have to look at your own routine, what works for you. But what comes with that is that you have to constantly be uh, reviewing what you're doing. You need to push yourself. So if you're thinking, oh, I don't need to do weights in the week and then you have a bad game on a Sunday, right? Do you have to start doing weights or you've just constantly got to get your routine right? And then I think I just stripped it back, really went back to the basics. I used to make sure I had enough sleep, enough food, um, enough water, stuff like that, like really basic needs. I used to, every time I stepped over that white line, I give 110%. And I think just all them kind of basics, but doing them at the maximum of your capacity, I think kind of that's what kept us going for so long. And obviously in terms of when you say about longevity of career, I think a lot of it is in your head as well. And I surrounded Mm. myself with the right people and kind of, I don't mean I had people just telling us I was great and everything was great. I had people who would tell us if things needed to be better as well. And I think that's important that you can take criticism in order to be better. That's such an important thing. And criticism and also positives can make you into an amazing person and make you the person you are today. Who do you think really helped shape you into the athlete that you became? Is there one person when you think back and you're like, wow, that really had a huge impact on me? I think maybe the age of 18, 19. So I moved to Everton when I was like 18, yeah. And a lot of the team were a bit older than me, probably 25, 26. And we weren't getting paid then for playing football, but that didn't matter. I just wanted to play. They were one of the best teams in the league. And the girls just really looked after me. They were a bit older. I used to have to sometimes go, can I just stay at somebody's house? Because you didn't have anywhere to stay and stuff like that. But them are now my best friends, uh, them group of girls. And I think when I look back, like Rachel Brown, Lindsay Johnson, Geordie Handley, they really did shape me as a person in terms of like values and morals. And they would always say to us if, because I was going through an experience and to me it maybe meant the end of the world that I'd been dropped for a game and they would just give us a bit of advice and say, look, it happened to me before you have to decide where you put your energy, which battles you kind of take on. And Mm. I don't think they realised how much they helped me at such an important age. So I think in terms of realising what it took to reach the top, I had the best role models in in them teammates. And in turn, you became such an amazing role model for your teammates. Because when we had Lucy Bronze on and I asked that exact question, she said you made her into the player that she was and how working with you and she credited with you with making her really understand mentality and psychology better and made her into a true team player. How amazing is it to know that you've had that effect on on your team? She's a lot better player than me. So yeah, if, if I've contributed 1%, I'll take that. But yeah, I was always big on the on the team side because you know what? I played in teams where we probably didn't deserve to win games. We probably weren't talented enough, but we won games based on togetherness, team togetherness mm. mentality. So I did try and drum that into the younger players. Like we have such technical players here, talented players, and it would be, let's make sure that if we're also good teammates to each other, good people, then I think that's what will get us over the line. So yeah, I'm glad that players do say that because that's something that I hang my hat on now. Like, in everyday life, if if somebody needs a door opening for them or if, if somebody drops something, if I can ever help anyone in like any way, I'll always offer it because I think to be a good person doesn't doesn't take much. And I hope that's one thing that I kind of 
left my, my stamp on this team, hopefully. Oh my God, you 100% have. And I think you've left that stamp on so many people as well who've watched you over the years. And you mentioned about the mentality aspect of sport before. Yeah. How do you think football helped you become mentally strong? And have there been some turning points in you really finding your mental strength? Uh, I think football makes you mentally strong because at times you just, you have to be. You take so many defeats sometimes. You go through this journey where like you'll win, you'll win trophies, you'll win a medal and then the next week you could lose the next game. So I think you have to be mentally strong in order to survive. But I will touch on that, that in my early years, I thought I was mentally strong because I was like, no one can ever see when I'm upset. I'll I'll never show that I'm sad in front of my teammates. I'll I'll never do that. And then what I realised when I got older was the strongest players were the ones I could show them emotions. So I think in my early days, I probably wasn't that mentally strong because I used to hide a lot of emotions and I'd be scared to show them. But what I love about the game now is I feel like this is a safe space where people can see if they're struggling. Like you have to think you've got girls say, out here who are the young age of like 20, 21 and they're mm. representing their country on the world stage. Like if people say pressure doesn't come with that, then they've never played sport before. So I think... It's important that we check in with people and that also the person feels like they can see how they're feeling without it meaning it's going to have a negative response. So, yeah, I think as I got older, I learned to share my feelings, which I think made us a, a stronger person. Mm. Do you think mental health has become less of a taboo in sport? Have you seen that change in your career? I think people definitely speak about it more now, definitely. Like, we used to get messages when we were younger and it was like, don't show disappointment in your face if you're not playing. And it was like, so you were like crying inside and you were just walking around smiling like this. But it was like, it wasn't reflecting how you were feeling inside. So I think it's kind of, I think then it got more open to, I think people have shared the stories. There's been some athletes over the years which have shared stories just about probably going through tough times in the careers. And then if something happens to you, you go, oh, well, wait a minute, that player went through this or that player went mm. through that. And I think that's why it's so important that athletes do share the stories. But yeah, mental health is so important. If you're not happy in your head, then you're not going to be playing your best football. You're not going to be performing in your work life. And I think we all know as humans that we have to take care of our mental health. And with that, sometimes comes the responsibility of actually speaking out if you are struggling. Oh my God, 100%. And we talk about that on this podcast all the time. And if you are mentally strong, you're able to deal with the pressures and the hurdles that come your way in a much better way. And as an athlete, there is, and you've mentioned this already, there's so much pressure. And even when yeah. I was like watching the penalty shootout the other day, I was like, me and my boyfriend saying each other, like, how do they do this? Like the pressure, the nerves. How did you learn yeah. to deal with pressure and nerves and was there a moment when you were your most nervous where you were like oh my god I don't know how I'm gonna do this and how did you get through it yeah I think you do get nerves and, and nerves are normal I think as I got older I probably got more nerves uh, people think you're gonna get less but I think there's more of a pressure on you to perform because of an expectation because of obviously the career that maybe you've had representing England stuff like that but I always say I've said this a lot that if you're in a pressurised situation, you've earned that pressurised situation. So when people on Twitter and stuff, they want to comment on someone missing a penalty or whatever, I'm like, 
they're on the other end of a keyboard and they haven't earned that pressurised situation. So that's how I would always think about it. If we had a game on TV and 11 million people's watching, I'm like, girls, you've earned this because you've won the group stages, you've won the quarterfinal, you've won the semi-final, and this is now your stage. Just go out there, enjoy it because these times don't come around very often. And I also remember someone saying to us like, what is pressure? They're like, pressure's not even a thing. It's just something that your head kind of makes up and you suddenly go to all, what about if I miss this penalty? What about if this happens? What about if this happens? Whereas if you can, and this takes time, but if you can just look at the situation so logically, like here's a ball, I've got to put it in the goal. It's what I've done every single day since being a little girl and try and remove that emotion from the situation. I think that's what probably the best athletes can do. It's like digging deep in the tough moments as well, isn't it? Yeah. When you look back at your career now, is there kind of a low moment or a moment of in inverted commas failure that you look back yeah. now and really empowered you? I think my my last couple of years of football were were really difficult. To be honest, I just had this picture in my head like I'd been at Man City for seven years. I just had this picture that I was just going to end my career there and that was going to be it. But um for one reason or another, I ended up like not playing and my England place was really in doubt because I wasn't getting minutes on the pitch. So I think when I look back, the two turning points in my career probably came at the end of it when I decided to go on loan. So I went on loan to Everton because I wanted to go to the Olympics. And then the next year I went on loan to Aston Villa because I wanted to go to the Euros. So I'm quite proud of myself, I think, when I look back for making that decision because Sometimes when you're in a job, you're in a team uh, for so long, it's your comfort zone, you're going with your mates every single day, it's around the corner, everything's perfect and suddenly mm. you have to disrupt this whole thing, you have to travel two hours a day, you have to do all this. But I am quite proud of myself because in my head I knew what my goal was and I was like, if I if I stay, then it's not going to happen. So yeah, my turning points, weirdly, probably came at the end of my career. Yeah. That's so interesting it came at that juncture. And, and when you look back, those those yeah. kind of moments must have taught you so much, not only as a player, as an athlete, but as a person. What do you think is the greatest life lesson that football's taught you? Oh, there's so many. I encourage so many young people just to do sport. I'm like, look, it's been the biggest honour playing for England, but if you can play sport as a youngster, you learn to win, you learn to lose, which... Life throws at you all the time. You you win in some situations, you lose in others. Um, you learn to get out in the fresh air. You learn to make friends. You learn to have conversations that are a bit uncomfortable. So there's so many life lessons, so many life lessons. But I think probably when you touched on when I went into the jungle, um, I never thought I'd be equipped to go and live in a jungle. I'm like, it's something I've never done before. But I think tapping into that sports mentality of, I remember getting in there and I counted, there was 11 of us. And I was like, right, this is a team of 11. Uh, Where have you heard that before? And I was like, this is your team. You've got to look after them. Our aim is not to get a medal, it's to get food. And I kind of just changed the whole process in my head. And I was like, if you can help in any way, make sure you do work hard, do the right things. And I think that's kind of what sport teaches you and equips you for so many different things. Yeah, I actually do not know how you got in that jungle because I would literally, <laughs> I wouldn't last 2.2 seconds. Yeah, but people say that, but I thought that I'm so scared of heights. So literally two months before I went into the jungle, 
I asked a cable cart in Croatia to stop because I had to get off because I was that scared. And then two months later, I'm walking out of the tallest building in Sydney on a plank of wood. And my partner, she was going, Jill, are you absolutely joking? She was like, you made us get off a cable cart on holiday. So I think it's just in that moment where it's like you can help someone or, or something like that, then you just go in like fight or flight mode. It's it's weird. It's weird. Yeah. And you can always prove yourself wrong, yeah. can't you? You're a living example of that. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I always thought I was, I just went into each situation going, what is the worst that can happen? And I was like, well, ITV aren't going to kill us others. So that's what I had in the back of my head. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know this podcast is all about bringing people together through the power of good conversation. And that's why I'm so happy to be working with Nike for this series, because one of Nike's greatest strengths is their ability to bring people together through the power of sport. As well as creating specific products for her, Nike is unlocking doors for the next generation, accelerating change in sport from grassroots level and investing in more than 135 community partners that support women and girls around the world who want to participate in sport. It's this kind of inclusion and progress that makes me so proud to be working with Nike for this special series. So I encourage you to head to at Nike Women to find out more. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. And of course, we're talking to you today as we're gearing up for the quarterfinals of the World Cup 2023. Real talk now. What do you think it's going to take for England to win this trophy? I think they need to just keep doing what they're doing. I think they're they're growing in every game. What I've really liked about this tournament is they've faced such different opposition. They've had teams Mm. like Nigeria that has been so physical. They've had uh, teams like China, who I felt like we could kind of bully them off the ball. Um, Denmark, who were a little bit more technical. And I think the team showed so many different sides to to the game. But I think it sounds so football cliche, but I think we I keep saying we, it's not even me anymore. But the team's doing so well at, at kind of taking each game at a time and just preparing for that game in front of them, not getting too far ahead of themselves. Not thinking about the semi-final, not thinking about the final. And you know what? This this team is is so special. They're, they're so talented, yet so humble, so grounded. And honestly, if if anybody's a, a fan of this team, I think you, you're definitely following the right team for so many different reasons. Yeah. I think everyone's embraced the Lionesses. Like it's kind of like our family yeah. in a way. I think it's so amazing yeah. to see people embracing women's football and the Lionesses in the way that you have. And it's such an amazing moment for women's football right now. It's like an all-time high. It's breaking records in ticket sales. Viewership is like through the roof across the world. But there's no denying there are some huge challenges still ahead for us to get proper gender equality in sport. And 
football players yeah. across the board are always regularly told to stick to football, but in a women's game, that is really not an option. Looking at women's sport and women's football right now, what do you think are the biggest challenges we've still got to face? Yeah, I think obviously there is that equality side, but I always try and get away from the direct comparisons. It's it's two different games, men and women's football. Obviously, there's a lot of lot of gender differences, but I always try and look at the positives. Like when I look at my career, I, I said when I was 18, 19, which showed my age now, but it was about 18 years ago, I would never have dreamt of having a full-time job as a footballer at a club like Manchester mm. City. Chelsea, Arsenal, and never would have thought there'd be ninety thousand people going to Wembley um for a Euros final. So I think there has been a lot of positive change along the way. Do we keep needing to push it? Of course we do, of course we do. Like straight after the Euros, um I know Lotta and Leah led the way on on the campaign to get girls equal access to football in PE because that's where I fell in love with football. And if you're not giving them access to football, you may be denying 50% of girls' potential dreams of being a footballer. So it starts there. And then at the other end, the clubs need to keep pushing as well. Like we need to keep getting the games in the main, not the men's stadiums. And because people, once you put the game there, you're getting 50,000 to Arsenal v Chelsea, you're getting 50,000 to Man City, Man United. So when people tell us that people don't want to watch the game, I'm like, it never disappoints when it's given the opportunity. But that opportunity mm. needs to be made available more regular, in my opinion. Mm. Oh my God, 100%. And this fact always blows my mind when I read this or I say it out loud, is that women were actually banned from playing professional football until 1971, which is in living memory for so many people in this country. Yeah. And you joined started playing football like in 2005 and... When you think back, what was the state of women's football like then? How would you describe it? Yeah. Well, you know what? My 2005, I went to follow the team. I made my debut for England in 2006. So I went to the 2005 Euros as a fan. And I remember there being 35,000 people at the Etihad for the women's Euros. So the game wasn't necessarily in a bad place. It was just kind of the structure of the club teams, the structure of the league that needed to be a lot better but when you speak about women being banned honestly I get so many messages now where women go oh you know what I was denied the opportunity to be a footballer but now I'm a bit older and I've joined the local walk and football team I've made all these friends and or I've joined my local just like football team and I think it's just so great to hear that although the opportunity was taken away from them and the fact that some of them have still been able to kind of live that dream is is so important and obviously then follow their favourite team. But yeah, the change in the game is massive. And as you say, that's going back nearly 20 years ago. So I think the future is exciting. If I'm sitting here in 20 years' time, where is the game going to be? Mm. It's going to be in such an amazing place. And I was also reading this story about when you started playing as a kid and you won Man of the Match at the boys' tournament when you yeah, were like yeah. seven <laughs> years old and you were saying yeah. that the organizers were absolutely fuming about it and then the next year you were told you couldn't play for that team anymore yeah. when you look back at your career now has sexism been something that's really punctuated 
your career? And have there been some moments of sexism that really stuck with you or fueled you forward to be the player you are? Uh, when I was younger, obviously there was moments like that, but I think that was true Jill's style, even being a youngster, they were like, oh, it's got man of the match on it, but I, I turned it into a positive and I was like, I wanted to say man of the match because I don't want you to change it to girl of the match because I don't want people to think that I got it just because I'm a girl. Um, and yeah, mm. when I was younger, I, I took quite a lot as a kid, to be honest. I used to get kicked a lot. Parents would shout at me all the time, like, kick that girl. And I'd be left in tears on the pitch on numerous occasions at the age of eight and nine. When I was 12, a boy broke my elbow on my first day of senior school just because he was calling his names for playing football and I went to stick up for myself. He tripped us over and I, I smashed my elbow in about three places. So yeah, there's there's always been tough moments along the way, but would I change any of my journey? Yeah, I'd love not to have had the broken elbow, but I think them moments kind of made me stronger and I'm also kind of proud of myself that I try to stick up for myself as well. And you know what? The, the most pleasing thing now is like, There'll be a, a young Jill having her first day at senior school who plays football and she's not going to get tripped up and she's not going to spend that first day in hospital. She's going to spend that first day playing football and it's going to be accepted and th that's what means the most to us. Sometimes you can't change what happens to you, but then you can just make it better for the next generation and that's what means the most to me. Mm, that's so special and I think... As a female footballer, in a world that hasn't always necessarily made space for your dreams, how did you always maintain your self-belief in those circumstances? I just loved it. I just, like, I do actually feel like I was put on this earth to play football. I know that sounds so deep, but, like, there was nothing. When I when I look back uh, along the way, like, Jill, you can't play football anymore. There's no teams. Um, maybe you'll have to go and play netball or something like that. Um Whenever there was like an obstacle put in my way, there was no way I wasn't going to play football. It was always my priority. It, it always has been. And maybe like family and friends have, have had to kind of sacrifice a lot of probably not getting my like full time or full attention um, because of the love of football. But it was what I always wanted to do. And I feel like that's been my purpose in life. So, yeah, I think there was just it's it's really weird to say, but whenever anybody took away that opportunity I was even more determined to do it there's a song out at the minute actually pink and it's about um how like no one's ever going to stop her from dancing and it really reminds us of like me as a as a youngster and I'm like nothing would have stopped us from playing football mm, that song is an absolute bop <laughs> in case yeah, anyone has an not heard that song, song. yeah get it on it's, it's so good I listen song. to it all the time it's a great and song <laughs> You are someone who's now going out there and inspiring the next generation and you're becoming a coach in your own right and you've got your own academy. And I was listening to one of the matches the other day and they were saying that England was the last remaining, had the last remaining female coach at the World Cup. Now we are getting women in behind the scenes at sport, but there's also huge problems with getting women into those roles, especially when you look at the kind of abuses that have been happening in women's sport as well. Yeah. What do you think can be done to make women feel truly safe doing what they love? And do you think it is getting more women behind the scenes in football? I think for me, it's always, it's that opportunity piece. I feel like I mentioned that word a lot, but it is that equal opportunity first and foremost. Um, and then I think also as well, which was highlighted in International Women's Week, they did a lot of work around um, 
like equity as well. So it was like sometimes mm. women might now get these opportunities, which is fantastic. But remember, they haven't had the same coaching journey or they haven't had the same opportunities as men. So it might be there's a refereeing job available at the top level and all these guys have been doing all this and they get this job and then suddenly a female gets it. It's like, yeah, give her the job because she's good enough, but she needs that help and support as well. So I think we just have to make sure that I think that if two people are going for a job, I think it's that equal opportunity, best person gets a job, that's fine. But then we also need to make sure that you provide the help and, as you say, that safe space so that they can go out there and do the job to the best of their ability. Um, I've had male coaches, I've had female coaches, and I've never really looked at them and been like, oh, you're a female, you're a male. It's just that respect side, what they do for the team, how you how they treat you as a person. People always go, it was, what's better, a female manager or a male manager? And I'm like, it's just the person who's the best manager. It's not about the gender. And um, sometimes I think, I always think of the saying like, gender shouldn't have an agenda and that's kind of how how I think it should be just if you're good enough for the job you get it I think I just made that mm. saying up to be honest oh my god I, if you made that up that's a stunning <laughs> saying to make up off the car I think I'm like, I'm like great I'm copywriting that <laughs> copy it's going top it. of the podcast we're getting this out right now <laughs> trademark it before it's too late one of the things that's definitely changed in women's sport is because I was reading when you first played for a professional club at Sunderland, the team didn't even have their own kit and you got the hand-me-downs yeah. from the men's team and it was kind of like a free-for-all, like you just had to grab the kit and run. Now we're in a situation where not only do women have their own kit specifically designed by Nike, they now have period-conscious blue shorts instead of white and leap protection shorts and all these things that women have been crying out for so long in sportswear. Can you believe we finally got to this moment when you think yeah. back to your journey that you've been on with Kit? No, definitely not. Even like women's boots, like stuff like that. It's mad. And when you speak about like periods, obviously that's something, that's probably a good example when you speak about the mental health side. It's something that you didn't feel confident talking about, but you would be mm. very conscious if you were wearing like white shorts, you would be. And I remember even some games going, are we in white shorts today? And they tell us it was like black shorts or blue shorts and it'd literally be like a sigh of relief, like, oh, it's one less thing. And you don't want to be worrying about that. You've got enough going into the game. And it's like just by changing the colour of the shorts, you can ease the pressure even more on performance. So, yeah, I think it's absolutely amazing. As I say, like, I look back on them days and the sense of belonging just because we had, we all had the same kit on. Yeah, okay, it was... 50 sizes too big for us. It was all washed out red that it had turned pink. But I looked around and the fact that we were all in the same kit um, just meant so much. So now the fact that they've got women's uh, fitted kit. And you know what? You go out there putting on that England shirt, obviously seeing the Nike taken, you just feel like important. Like you're like, my kit fits, I'm ready. I look good. I'm going to play good. And people probably won't get that unless you do sport. But that feeling, that sense of belonging. Like I sometimes go around now and um, I'm in a position where I, I can provide some kids to schools and the fact that you think that them ki kids are going to be playing on a Wednesday night and they're all going to have the same kit on and they're going to, even if it's just for the sake of like an hour, they're going to feel as if they belong to something. I think that's so important. Mm. 
That is so important. And I think one of the things I love about women's football is it, it is a space where everyone feels like they belong. And being yeah. a gay man, I never thought that sport was really a space for me. Female football has really become a space where everyone is welcome and they can turn up, they yes. can scream, I can be my camp self, I can shake my phone finger around and everyone is so understanding of everyone. Do you think football has given you a space to truly be yourself as well and really take pride in your identity? Yeah, definitely. I feel like it's just never been any judgment really when you talk about the sense of having a partner, some people have boyfriends, some people have girlfriends and it's just like, that's just how it was really. And yeah, I think that's kind of one thing that I always feel fortunate about. And yeah, people always say like, oh, do you, do you want to tell your story and all this? And I'm like, there's not really a story. It's just the fact that whoever you fall in love with, you fall in love with. And I hope that young people um, who play sport, they feel like they can be themselves. Because again, when you talk about the pressures of playing in high pressurised environment, if you can't sit next to your teammate and maybe share a story that happened at home or something like that and you're kind of scared to say that you've got a girlfriend or you've got a boyfriend then that's also playing on your mind as well so yeah I do feel very grateful to football that I've I've always been able to be myself Um, there's never been any question about it uh, football's always been very supportive to my family and it's crazy because it's almost like you're thankful for that but really why can't we be ourselves when when I look at people in the world and I think if you have an opinion on someone because maybe they're gay, I'm like, what is going on with your own lives? That That's what I think. And I think mm. as long as we can just keep teaching kids to be themselves, if I'm fortunate enough to go on and have a son or a daughter, I would really hope that they just feel like they can be themselves, be happy in their own head and to feel comfortable with that. And you know what? If they can be, I feel like that would be the, the biggest tick box as a parent. Mm. And it's so special when you can find that space to truly be yourself, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And don't get as wrong, there's been times like kind of where you feel like you had to hide things and you, you, you're in conversations and you're thinking, oh, don't ask us this question, don't ask us this question. And it's horrible, it like eats you up inside. And when I spoke earlier about like what you use your energy on in life, there's so much stuff going on in the world and you think you don't want to be using up energy thinking, oh, I, I don't want to be asked this question in, in case I have to tell them that my partner's a female or something like that. So, yeah, I think it's, I feel very, like, kind of fortunate in a way that I've been able just to live my life. But I hope by kind of sharing my kind of pictures on Instagram or a little bit about my family life um, and just being open about who I am, I feel like if I can kind of help the next generation with that, then um, it'll definitely be worthwhile as well it's so worthwhile and like I think it's so amazing to have role models like you queer role models who are out there doing it for us and I think it's such a special thing to be see people doing that in sport as well and you've shown that across everything you've done away from football as well I mean you're clearing up left right and center you've got your coffee shop here you're winning I'm oh, 70 get me out of here here you're the first female head panelist on a league of their own you are clearing up nah. there's one thing I need to know out of the England team right now who would you most like to see get in that jungle and eat a kangaroo penis oh that's actually a good question you know what Beth England really wants to do it she really wants to do it so I'm like I do think she would be good. I also think Georgia Stanway would be good in there as well because I feel like she'd just 
give everything at all. So, yeah, I'm putting them two forward, Beth England or Georgia Stanway. Love it. We need to make that happen. And (laughs) it has been the best talking to you today. At the end of every episode, we always ask this last question, which is in the reign of your life, what is the one rule you always live by? Um, Just simple, really. Be a good person. I think literally that's it. As simple as that. Four words, be a good person. I love it. Well, you're a great person. And thank you so much for sharing me today and inspiring us all to get out there and be ourselves and get playing sport, babes. Yes, get out there. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here for this episode of Rain. If there are things that resonate with you, I'd love to hear from you. Get me on socials at Josh Smith House. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, subscribe or follow and share this with someone you think should hear it. Let's get those convos going because that is what this podcast is all about. Hi babes, me again. Just wanted to tell you about something very exciting. I can't believe I'm about to tell you this, but I've written a book and it's called Great Chat. As you know, I love to chat, plot spoiler, and I love talking to people about their lives because as I always say, talking and listening is so powerful. The book is all about how you can master conversation and transform your life, just like it has for me. I've used my experience from all the amazing interviews I've been lucky enough to do, as well as a load of research to help you deal with everything from making new friends to embracing difficult discussions. Great chat should never be underestimated. It can truly improve your well-being, allow you to create the life you want, and bring the connections you are so deserving of, babes. You can pre-order Great Chat today in hardback, ebook, and audiobook, read by me, no less, and it's out on the 20th of June.